Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we didn't come to hear human words or human opinions. We came to hear your word. To that end, O God, pour through me the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be my human words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, they might become your living word to us. And may these words, O God, be relevant to the lives of everyone who hears them. And, O God, may these words transform our lives. All this we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus, the risen and the reigning Christ. And may all God's people say, Amen. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, tells the delightful and a delicious and a profound story about the two vandals that broke into a shop in the middle of the night. And they didn't steal anything, and they didn't break anything. But what they did wrecked havoc in the store. Do you know what they did? They rearranged the price tags. Next to the $20,000 mink coat, they put a $150 price tag. And next to the $150 sweater, they put the $20,000 price tag. And then they waited in the back of the store and hid with a diabolical glee to see the faces of the unsuspecting shoppers and the face of the unsuspecting owner when they all came in the next morning. Now, Temple sees a sermon in that, and I hope you see a sermon in that as well. For the sermon Temple sees is that an evil force, he's a diabolical force, Temple calls it the devil, has broken into our world and has rearranged all God's price tags in a way God wouldn't want them to be. In fact, the devil has rearranged the price tags exactly the opposite of what God wants them to be. Next to the things, Temple says, that God says are of inestimable lasting value, the devil puts a low price tag on. For example, friendships, family life, generosity, sharing, servanthood, selfishness, selflessness, prayer, worship, attending a Lenten service during the middle of the week, and loyalty. Those things are of inestimable value, but the devil has put a low price tag beside them. And next to the things that God says really are of little or no lasting value, the devil puts a high price tag beside those things, like prominence and power and prestige and being self-reliant and being independent and being in charge and being in control and hierarchy and materialism. See, by those things that aren't lasting, the devil puts a very high price tag. So when Jesus calls the disciples to follow him and to leave their nets, He's really asking them to go out into the world and rearrange God's price tags back the way God intended them to be from the beginning of time. And Temple says, our real calling as Christians is to turn an upside-down world right side up. Now, in this little pericope from the Gospel of Mark that Elizabeth just read for us, what we see is how the disciples' world was really turned upside down. They had really bought into the value system of the Roman culture. Jesus is walking on the way and has just told them it's really a poignant scene. It's kind of disturbing to us as we read it. He tells them he's going to be mocked and ridiculed and flogged. Do you know that flogging is whipping? But in that day, scholars say flogging really is to whip someone with animal teeth into the whip. 
So when you're whipped, the animal teeth would tear the skin of the victim, leaving them not dead, but leaving them almost lifeless, so weak that they could hardly function. And then they went to the cross and were crucified. That's what flogging's all about. And then Jesus says he's going to be spat upon and they're going to kill him. Well, it's a poignant scene. In juxtaposition to that, Mark places right after that, the scene where James and John come to Jesus and ask for a favor. Master, in your kingdom, may we sit on your right hand and your left hand. Those are the seats of power in Roman authority. Whoever sat next to the emperor on the right hand and left hand was really the greatest. And they want to have the best seats in the house. They want the best seats in the coming kingdom. It's interesting that in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew tells this story, Matthew is kind of embarrassed that James and John should do this, so he puts the words into the mouth of Salome, the, the mother of James and John, asking, would it be possible that my sons might sit at the right hand and left hand? And he knew that a mother would want the best seats for them, and he's trying to save embarrassment for James and John. But Mark shows the ugliness of the Gospels in all of its fullness, he shows the ugliness of James and John and the competitiveness between the disciples. He shows humanity in all of its ugliness. He shows it warts and all. Mark shows that it's James and John who come. And they want the best seats, the right hand and left hand. And then the scripture says, when the ten heard this, they're indignant at these two brothers. Not indignant because they had embarrassed Jesus and been insensitive to him at his time of need. But they also want the best seats in the house. They want to be at the right hand and left hand. And they're indignant thinking James and John might get ahead of them. Like they're comparing themselves to James and John. They want the best seats at the house in the kingdom of God. Is there anybody at All Saints who ever compares yourself to someone else? Is there anyone here who's ever compares what you have or what you do with what someone else has or what someone else does? Isn't it true that even in the grocery store, it's a simple little example, but have you ever had to choose the line? You're not sure which is going to be the shortest line. So you make your selection, but then do you ever look at where you would have been in the other line and see if that person is moving ahead of you? Have you ever done this? Where you, I know none of you have ever done this, but you, you look ahead to where you would have been in the line. And if that person gets a little bit ahead of you, you're, you're indignant at them. Why should they have gotten ahead? I hate to admit this, but pastors do this too. I mean, I was in an installation service not long ago, and it was a wonderful opportunity to, to preach at an installation of a dear friend of mine who'd gotten a wonderful pulpit. It would be a, a church like All Saints, and, and the vestry was small, and so we couldn't all robe there. There were many people in the service. We robed in this person's office, this new pastor being installed into this wonderful church, and we were all in his office, and I'll tell you, when we got in the office, we kind of gasped because we'd never seen an office like this. I mean, they, he had a cherry desk that was just to die for. It was so gorgeous. And he had ivory figurines on the walls. And he had a marble fireplace. And he had rugs imported from Persia. Now, what do you think everybody putting on their robe, investing in that office was doing? They were all comparing their office to this guy's office. I was in the corner praying, but these other guys were kind of <laughs> comparing their office to his office. But isn't it true that we all do this? We're all indignant if somebody gets ahead of us. Jesus wants us to get our priorities straight. And he wants us to get, wants the disciples to get their priorities straight too. So he called the disciples together. And he said, I know in the Roman world, the Gentile world, their great people lorded over them. 
and they're tyrants over them. I know that's the way it is, and I know that's the way you're tempted to be. But here's the seven words that are key to the scripture. It shall not be so among you. You're not going to live in accordance to that world. We want to rearrange your price tag so that you can rearrange the price tags of the world. If anyone among you would be great, he must be a servant. If anyone would be first, he must be a slave. And Jesus called them to rearrange their price tags so that they could rearrange the world's price tags. And God's calling us to do the very same thing. How do we do that? We've seen a vivid example of this in the last two weeks. Pope Francis, a simple man, chose the name Francis, the, the, the saint of the poor, as his name for his papacy. Immediately after he was elected, a Vatican official said to him, Pope, you must go up onto the, to, to the chancel. You must go up and sit in the special seat up there. And then the cardinals will come. They will kiss your ring there. They will shake your hand. They will welcome you to the papacy. Go up higher. And Pope Francis said, no, no, I want to greet them on the level together. I'll just greet them informally. And then when he was leaving the place, they were going to take him to his residence, and they had the papal limousine. You all know this story. The papal limousine was ready, and they're opening the door and ushering him in. He said, no, 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 no. I want to ride the bus with the other cardinals. And then he got back to his place where, where he had slept, and he packed his little bag, and there were porters there ready to carry his luggage. He said, no, no, I'll carry it myself. He was living against the grain of the culture. He models humility. And in so doing, he models greatness. In his sphere of influence as, as Pope, in these simple two weeks, I think, he is modeling something very different. He's going to be a Pope of the poor. He's going to kiss the feet as the Pope of persons with AIDS. He did it when he was a cardinal. He did it when he was a priest. He'll do it when he's Pope. It's interesting. He's going to model something very different. But in his sphere of influence, he is not marching to the drumbeat of the culture. He's marching to the call of Christ. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. It may be here at All Saints. It may be in our neighborhood. It may be at SunTrust. It may be at Wells Fargo. It may be at Coca-Cola. It may be with the American Red Cross. It may be with a board that we're serving on. It may be with our family. It may be in our neighborhood. We all have a sphere of influence. Whether we're younger or older or richer or poor, we've all got a sphere of influence. Our job is to be servant leaders, to change the atmosphere, the environment where we live, to change the atmosphere and the environment where we work. It's always competitive. Everybody trying to get ahead, trying to be first. And Jesus says, the greatest of all is the servant of all. We have the opportunity and the privilege to change the environment where we live and where we work with a word of kindness, a word of thanks, a word of appreciation a word of sympathy, a word of hope. Do you know our son Ryan and our daughter-in-law Holly have, are the parents of four children. My wife and I have four grandchildren, and they are the four most wonderful grandchildren in all the world, I'll tell you. But these wonderful grandchildren go to a school, and at the end of the school year last year, Ryan and Holly wrote notes to the teachers, and they just thanked the teachers for their work. 
I just thanked them for what they had taught their children and thanked them for all this going the second mile and the third mile. And, and they just wanted to write a note to say thank you for what you're doing for our kids. And well, they went in a couple of months ago to the school and they were carrying, they saw one of the teachers burden and carrying a lot of stuff. And they said, could we help you? And she said, oh, that would be so wonderful. And Ryan or Holly helped her and they carried stuff out to the car. And when she got to the car, she said to them, you know, I, I'm so happy we've had this moment to you to come up and help me. But I also want to thank you for that note you wrote me at the end of the school year last year. And then this teacher, with some emotion and some tears in her eyes, said, you know, I've been teaching school for 27 years. And that's the first note of appreciation I ever got. And she said, do you know it has changed the way I go about my teaching? I now take a moment to try to appreciate the people around me and I was thinking, just a simple little thank you note, but, but how often do we get just a simple note of thanks and appreciation? You and I have the opportunity to become servant leaders, to not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives as a ransom for many. Jesus did that and to give our lives to set other people free. Our job is to rearrange God's price tags back to the way God wanted them to be from the beginning of time. But it's by changing the atmosphere, influencing the atmosphere where we live and work. We're called to be servant leaders. We are called to rearrange God's price tags back to the way they were meant to be from the beginning of time. William Penn, before he came to America and founded the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, was in a Quaker worship service. He was a Quaker. The Quakers emphasized silence. A man came into the service unfamiliar with the Quaker tradition of silence, sat near William Penn. Five minutes went by, 10 minutes went by. No words were spoken. This man was embarrassed and impatient. He wanted the service to get moving. So he leaned over to William Penn and whispered, when does the service begin? And William Penn said, the service begins when we walk out the door. Amen.